everyone. I'm Lisa Morrell from Equine Alchemy and welcome to the Transforming and Thriving Through Horse Wisdom Summit from Equine Alchemy. And I would like to welcome Rebecca Bailey. She's here with us today. She's going to be having a conversation with us about what she does with horses in her work. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you for having me. I, I was supposed to be in Amsterdam with Linda Kahanif today. Oh, you decided not to go? I'm, I'm with you instead, so. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, either one would have been great. I love Linda, so, you know. Let me tell all of the viewers here just a bit about you, because you're gonna be wowed by this. Rebecca, first of all, is a PhD and is a clinical and child forensic psychologist and director of the innovative program, Transitioning Families. And uh, Rebecca's scholarship, or Dr. Bailey's, if you want to really get former, scholarship examines issues related to abduction, high conflict divorce, animal assisted therapy. Polyvagal theory and the resiliency of individuals and families post-traumatic life events. I'm going to say this again, and they're going to cut this out. Polyvagal theory and the resilience of individuals and families post-traumatic life events. In addition to private practice, Dr. Bailey co-authored the book Safe Kids, Smart Parents, and Dr. Bailey's most recent articles include Victorious Trauma. I'm starting this again. I'm not reading this very I well. like the word Victorious Trauma. I do too. I was saying that's very clever. Okay, so here we're going to start here. In addition to a private practice, Dr. Bailey co-authored the book Safe Kids, Smart Parents. And the most recent articles include Vicarious Trauma and the application of the polyvagal theory to high conflict co-parenting cases. Wow, we're going to hear so much more about that. And Rebecca has appeared on CNN, ABC, and other networks. She's been a guest and commentator on Anderson Cooper, Good Morning America, Piers Morgan, Aaron Burnett, Kira Phillips, 2020, Diane Sawyer, Dr. Oz, and World News Tonight. You didn't know we were going to have a movie star, right? She frequently consults with the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children and has assisted with the reunification of individuals and families impacted by non-familial and familial abductions. And Dr. Bailey is an advisor for the JACE Foundation, J-A-Y-C Foundation, and is a clinical director for their programs. So welcome again, Rebecca. Thank you. We are really honored to have you. And uh, I met Rebecca when I was working with uh, Clint, Linda Kohana and we were doing connection focused therapy. Remember that? Yeah. I do. I do. Yeah. It, it's been morphing and changing and we're still at it. We have 20 in Germany, I think X amount in Arizona and just finished one in Minnesota before we got shut back down with COVID. So. Oh. You were there in the very beginnings. Lisa. I know it's wonderful. The connection focused therapy because Rebecca is a PhD. And of course we know Linda Kohanov and that's the equine approach that I take. And so, uh, yeah. So the two of them together is, is a really great combo. So now I know that your company equine connections is involved. How? with all of these other things that you have been doing, the abduction, the 
polyvagal theory, but we're going to get into that a little bit more. But tell me, first of all, uh, how, how does working with equine connections, how is it engaged with your human human? So equine connections is not our name of our program, but I love that name. And so maybe it ought to be. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was. But so I like it. Go. <laughs> not, I'm going to add yet another domain name. Um, <laughs> So Dr. Bailey, and transitioning families has also morphed over to something very exciting, which I will tell you at the end of this. So people will stand by. Okay, stay but as, as of right now, the our program ourself is either under Dr. Rebecca Bailey, Wisdom of the Horse, or this very exciting thing we'll say at the end. Okay. Maybe that's where I got the equine connections. Well, I love it because it's truly everything that we're about. Um, and one of the issues over my 35 years of practice has been that people are like, wait, where do we find you? And so we finally figured out a way to do an umbrella. So you're actually picking up on a very important concept within our program. So which is clarity of who we are and what we do. Oh, that's interesting. Great. Well, good. I'm glad my lack of clarity is helping your clarity. <laughs> so the last time uh, we spoke, you talked about the fact that you're really delving deeply into polyvagal theory, as we said before. And I want to talk about how that, uh, what, what role it plays with uh, horse wisdom. And so first of all, I'd like to know what is your, what do you think horse wisdom is? according to your years of working with horses? So horse wisdom is everything we know. Horse wisdom is the horse's ability to absolutely be flexible and adaptable in the face of different um, circumstances. So what the wisdom that horses, at least for my experience that I've used working with myself and with other human beings, Mm -hmm. has been to teach the art of flexibility. And you'll understand more as we go along how this fits into polyvagal. So that's one of the pieces, that innate piece of assessing, am I safe or am I not safe? Interesting, okay. So then that just really is a great segue for how, uh, how the polyvagal theory became interesting to you in the work that you're doing and healing trauma? So about, I'd say eight years ago, when I was working with a well-known at that time, she doesn't like to be well-known at this juncture, but well-known abduction of recovered individual and her family. And I'm not telling tales. She's invited me to tell this story. In fact, we now work together sometimes after a great deal of informed consent on how to make that work. Um, and I say that because it's important because sometimes you can, people will hear that I originally worked with this woman and then later was working with her in another capacity and eyebrows go up and they're like, oh my God, is that okay? It indeed is inherently ethical when you approach it with a very thoughtful, careful, informed consent. So that's a side, sorry, a side note to what, how polyvagal came into my life. Okay. So both this young woman, myself, and I can say her name, JC Dugard, and myself, and many other abduction individuals that I had worked with, 
we're very disturbed by the notion of Stockholm syndrome, that people fall in love with their perpetrator. Bothered a lot of different people. Love is defined so differently depending on who you talk to. But so let me just stop you for a minute. For those of you who are not as familiar with Dr. Bailey's work, when she's talking about abduction, familial abduction or non-familial, you wanna just give us like a little soundbite about what that is. So that's good because when I first met Linda Kahanov, she thought I was talking about alien abduction. And in fact, it was not. What I was talking about was um, abduction in some cases is the very rare stranger abduction, which is actually all over our news right now with that, that young woman. I guess she wasn't abducted, but some of the same issues coming up for that, that young woman, Gabby. Um, so, so abduction, stranger abduction is when somebody who is unknown to the individual takes the individual. And in this case, it was a very young girl with some of the other cases, most of the other cases I've worked with in full stranger, meaning they knew nothing about the perpetrator. They've often been very young crimes of either opportunity or pre-planned. Familial abduction is um, when one family member, usually another parent, but I've had cases where it's been other relatives, takes the individual out and cuts off custody for them. Um, completely. And this is not your natural high conflict divorce. This is not, you know, there's DV and um, somebody's protecting the child. This often really is, I don't want anyone to see this child. There often is an element of mental illness with the parent that takes the child. They are very complex um, cases and a lot more common Sideway, side note, in Europe, sometimes they're handled a lot differently where the families all get together and come to a conclusion. In our litigious country, often they get in the courts and can go on and on forever. But, and the result can be a very confused child. And this is when you started working with the horses? I started working with horses from the day I could walk. <laughs> I've had horses in my life from very, very young. I um, Grew up, not surprisingly, as a uh, healer in a very high conflict divorce case outside of Boston. My parents were at their throats and the most consistent was my horse. My horse was my co-regulator. My horse taught me how to come home, come down to the barn and settle my heart. And that's the, really, that's the antecedents to polyvagal theory in my mind. Right. Truly really experiencing co-regulation. In my life, I didn't have a parental figure that helped me feel safe and sound internally. So, so that would ask you again, Rebecca. Yes. Uh, I know what co-regulation is, but it took me a while because I didn't have it for so many decades. Yep. yep. So Want to just say what that is? So, in the the more heady terms, it's the ability to be in homeostasis in a place that's comfortable. Everything's working well in the body. Digestion. This what we call hierarchy of um, autonomic nervous system is functioning well. You can go up into fight flight. You can go into ventral vagal connection. You can go down to a dorsal where you close down. The, in less clinical terms, think of it as the little baby whose mom or dad or other caregiver picks them up and soothes them and they're able to co-regulate. One of, um, I mean, they're able to co-regulate the child. One of the things I love about polyvagal theory is the thought is we need to learn co-regulation to be co-regulated before we can regulate. 
in our in our Mimi worlds, we tend to start with regulation. Oh, I need to be mindful and learn how to meditate and all these things. Well, first, a first step is learning how to receive that from something else, somebody else, another mammal. Yeah, that's kind I of think like another mammal because horses did it for me. Right. I, you know, I you can tell maybe already I'm a, a bit of a firecracker, got a lot of energy going on. But the horses from early on, as early as four or five years old, taught me to go back into myself. So you were able to, and I'm going to get to the polyvagal thing. I just want to make sure yep. that people, including myself, are yep. clear about this. So your ability, your relationship with your horse enabled you to be able to receive that. Which yes. Allowed you to regulate yourself. Yes. And I will tell you that I've ridden my whole life, but I am no great horse person. I always say this. I go into a barn and the horses spit and say, what do you want? You know, <laughs> you guys that are true horse trainers go into the barn and the horse says, hello. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a difference. So I, I know that this came from some sort of a nervous system awareness. So yeah. So going now back, we can go into the right. Politics. So going back to Stockholm, I just want to make clear because right. kind of a hanging, as we call a hanging chad out there. Right, right. Stockholm right. syndrome was the premise uh, based on a bank robbery that happened in Stockholm, and there were seven variables that came out. And going forward, people would explain why people didn't leave based on this postula postulation or hypothesis. And some of them are very right, some of them are not. I'm not gonna go into this. There actually is, uh, JC and I talk about it on the Polyvagal Institute, so you can hear more about it there. Um, but the main one was the thing about falling in love. And every single person that I worked with that did not leave a situation, including domestic violence, left because they did not feel safe mm -hmm. to leave. They did not have a way to operate in the world outside of where they were. Now the word love could be applied, okay. And I've had only one survivor of abduction say, no, no, I was in love with him. But she, the story of her captivity was so, and it was not JC, her story of her captivity was like, you know, electric shock on the door if she went out and like such, such negative reinforcement for any sort of desire to get out, no positive reinforcement, I always get that backwards, to leave the situation. So in my work, it became very important to understand Stockholm syndrome, understand another verbiage for that. That made me reach out to Dr. Porges, went and met with him and we began to talk about the mammal's innate system to stay alive and want to survive. Right. So when we're talking about this and the work that you do with these uh, often children that are abducted um, and they stay there for a long time and you're wondering, people wonder why they don't leave. And that can be, of course, in, in many other cases or many other situations. And so you are questioning whether or not there was some kind of love relationship going on. And what it actually boils down to, according to Dr. Borges, is this uh, response, the safety, this ability. One, one of the safe. variables could be, and when I first started doing this work, I had a a um, activist in dolphins contact me and tell me that I understand that dolphins in captivity were actually suffering 
from a Stockholm syndrome type thing. And then I had some horse people call me and then my head was spinning. And I was like, wow, does my horse really like me, not like me? Or it gets very complicated. But I do know that horses, incredibly powerful horses, do stay within a situation that they might not naturally be inclined to. Right. Now, I don't want to get in, I don't want to get into a political argument here with anybody or or make anybody um, uncomfortable, except to say that understanding, if we really pay attention to what's called neuroception, our internal radar that all day is saying, am I emotionally, physically, and in some cases spiritually safe? Mm-hmm. That's what's being activated all day long unconsciously throughout the day you go to a party somebody walks up to you your internal if they come walking up to you quickly your internal autonomic nervous system may instantly go oh and then as they come and say hi i know Susie q your best friend you get back into a place that you can connect right okay yeah okay so that's where we are now and so you were looking for this different verbiage from Stockholm syndrome and you found after working with Dr. Porges the polyvagal theory or you became more interested I became more aware of it and I will tell you the first year it was incredibly complex I tried to understand it from a neuro psychology perspective and then I finally said stop look at it from your work with horses Look ah. at it by watching a herd of horses. Look at it by watching your horse react to a stimulus. What's it like when you're on a horse and they respond and, you know, in a fear base and you get scared too. What happens? You go into this place, into a fight or flight spot. Does that make sense? So, yeah, also- yeah. so I'm going to ask you to just as I, just a working definition of this polyvagal theory so that people, there's these little bugs here, uh, so that these people who are viewers that are trying to get this here, that's so important. What is the bottom line here about polyvagal? So to get there first, I have to give you a, the, the less than elevator speech. So okay. the first one would be polyvagal refers to more than one vagal pathway in your body. Mm-hmm. The vagus nerve is, shows up all over medical research, et cetera. The vagus nerve began in, in the earliest evolutionary process of mammals. It was the, the dorsal vagal was the shutdown. That's the complete, your heart rate slows, digestion slows. That's the possum who looks dead to another animal, whatever that was. And that's the earliest evolutionary process in mammals. As we step forward, then the sympathetic nervous system developed, the fight or flight, mobilization, the seat of mobilization. The new thing that Stephen Porges introduced was ventral vagal. The ventral vagal up here connects back in the, the back of the neck. The ventral vagal is the seat of connection, compassion, all of those things. Now, it takes a long time to explain this. I'm not gonna do it on this, this call, but just understand that the vagus nerve evolved over a period of millions of years to allow us to be more interconnected with each other. We need each other for survival. So that's the, okay, what's the, what's the long, that's the long version. The short one in the elevator is look, 
The polyvagal theory postulates with good research behind it that we process information from a bottom-up perspective, mm -hmm. meaning we feel it before we think it. Mm -hmm. And then we take inf the information from our body and we put old narratives in, in place. The old narratives might say, it's really scary, this person in a red shirt. That may not be, I mean, that's the because maybe you were hit over the head with a pole by a red shirt one day. I mean, that's a, sorry, I guess. <laughs> there's no, a I get it with somebody wearing a red shirt. Red hats, what? With, by somebody wearing a red shirt. Or a hat for that matter. Yeah. But, okay, <laughs> so, so let's say, and so you're taking old narrative material and then your brain goes, oh, this is really scary. When you're in a fight or flight or a dorsal shutdown, you cannot access upper level material. So we do trainings of police officers, for example, and that was a big surprise to some of them to understand when they're in that activated fight or flight, they can't reason problem solve accurately because of that state. Now, the other one is that dorsal vagal. Dorsal vagal, we think, and I can never pronounce this, but in that state, we think that's the seat of fibromyalgia and many of these um, immune diseases. There's a lot of research on that. So the elevator has to be like a 50 floor skyscraper with stopping on each floor, but there we go. <laughs> right, no, 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 I get it, I get it. Uh, this is one of the things that I think that we, those of us who've studied working with horses, um, that we, our body senses things in the environment before we can cognitively process them. And so what we're talking about here is uh, some, some more information and science about what is actually happening. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, I'm not, I, 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 I'll, you'll hear me say Linda's name more than once because her earliest book really put that in there, which was interesting. And then other people that really understand animal behavior, you understand that it's that, this is the, the magic in the behavior. I mean, we all know there's other stuff that we, you know, can't talk on. <laughs> to other people about, um, yes. but, but this piece is that, that thing of really ex accessing, am I safe? Am I not safe? Emotionally, right. physically, and I've added the spiritual piece for some people. I mean, what, what is this? Yeah, it's part of, it's, it's all part. I, I agree. And people who are probably listening to this because my name is associated with it, will understand spirituality <laughs> in this. <laughs> So, yeah, this is great. This is beautiful. Okay, so this is always something that is important for uh, this field of working with horses and bringing them in as healers, for there to be a scientific explanation right. around what is actually happening. And so that is what I, and you tell me if I'm incorrect, that's what I'm hearing you say that is, is great, not, uh, is great news for this industry. <laughs> so that people can uh, understand it more as well as um, be able to tell other people about it. And I think that's um, in, in the, our Wisdom of the Horse series, one of the basic things that we've really tried to work on is the simplicity of the perspective of the horse. Now, please, you guys that love horses, don't think I'm saying horses are simple. I'm just saying that the with rare exceptions, the, ancient, the the narrative from last week don't come into play. I mean, you know, if there's been a fight or flight, 
place it has gotten over threshold that maybe you will have a reaction based on a past experience, but really the whole thing is present moment. The yeah. co-regulation is also interesting. There's been some really cool research and believe it or not from Perina around dogs and co-regulation with their owner. When the owner stepped out of the room and I've actually seen these videos, the dog's heart rate almost matched that of the human. And then when the human came back, they connected. Now horses heart rates are slower than human heart rate, but there still is this interesting piece. And I think that's that part when you come home and you know you go to your horse after you haven't seen it, there's this moment of a connection. Unless you're like a couple of my horses who go, oh my God, you're back and run the other way. But uh, <laughs> actually this morning. they haven't done that in a while, but, <laughs> and you know, it's funny because over the years, I think I've become more self-regulated, which is, I, I'm sure that that has um, increased my relationship with my horses. Yeah, this is a very interesting thing. What role does the polyvagal theory and all of these things we're talking about, what part does that play in people learning how to self-regulate? How to what? Self-regulate? Yes, a, a lot. I mean, again, you have to be able to receive information from other in order to learn it yourself. And, and I really do believe that. And you know, may, people may argue about that, but if we look at you know, early development, child development, mm -hmm. that is that first piece. I had one of my children was so colicky, like day one. And my his whole childhood, early you know, year, was trying to teach him that I was a soothing object. And it wasn't because I was so intense, it's just his tummy really, really hurt, which again, the vagus nerve innervates the stomach. So it took him longer to learn. And in fact, it certainly was horses and dogs and cats that taught him to get back to that place. So in order to learn yourself, you have to learn in conjunction with somebody else. Now, this makes so much sense for those people who are either working with or are wondering themselves why they're not able to self-regulate. Right, and, and the thing, a lot of this, my dear friend, Deb Dana, who works a lot with Stephen, she's really done a lot out there on therapeutic presence and the importance of the therapeutic relationship. I really agree that the ability for someone to feel connected with you um, and to allow you to soothe them helps. I also think it can be done with your horse. Um, I think the danger of, and I say the danger of what I've noticed over the years with my equine work, if when you leave it too much to the interpretation of a person, an individual at times, they can, they can read into it from a negative judgmental piece. Like my horse hates me because when I run, come to the barn, he runs away from me. Or um, like I said earlier, oh, the horses ran away instead of saying, what's my own regulation piece in this or you know what time of day was it or things like that so yeah i say it because in in what i do i teach i teach uh international coach federation coaching with horses i always say one of the things that we have to learn is what's mine and what's theirs yeah that's great that's really important and what skills do we need to help bring that person out of it. And I always think of riding a horse. The horse spooks when you're on a trail. What do you have to do, right? 
I mean, the job is to recenter and get down. And even then it may not be quick, but your job is to help regulate. Right, because it's a relationship. It's a relationship. And if people don't know how to be in relationship or they have a skewed yeah. uh, relationship with relationship, right? As a result of trauma, then it's going to be more challenging. You kind of have to start from the beginning. And I think we have to remember that it's not always just trauma. Um, it's one of my pet peeves about everyone being trauma-informed therapists. I mean, for God's sakes, we should all be if we're in the field. Um, but it can be personality type. There can be cultural differences. There can be um, neurodiversity. There can be oversensitivity to sounds, you know, all of these things. So we tend to, to put a label on because of trauma instead of saying, but within the common variables in human nature are also individual differences. I really find that important. I do also do a lot of touch, teaching of judges and helping them understand in the courtroom. We actually did, um, I did something with Nina Elcombe Fry about uh -huh. three years ago and we trained 80 judges, separated them two groups of 40 with the horses, looking at how individual difference of the horses and their perception of the horses might contribute how they might act in the courtroom towards them. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. Well, so this is one of the things that I wanted to just uh, to look at and clarify. So how, how do you, uh, how does it work? How does the connection between equine assisted therapy and uh, your knowledge of the theory, the polyvagal theory, how do they work together? How would you actually you said that thing about the judges, but how, how do these how do these things work together in what you're doing? Well, it's sort of like a right and a left hand. Um, they work very beautifully together when they're at their best. Often, I will work with the true true horse professional with certain horses um, because I really like to be able to constantly doing alternative hypothesis. So it's not the EGALA model. Um, what it is, is the ability to generate alternative hypothesis to what's going on in front of me. So for me, I do a lot of, and I do a lot of work with trainings, as I said, law enforcement, judges, individual work, my own constant self-care constantly is through, I have ridiculously now I have five horses, which is silly for somebody on an acre and a quarter. They don't all live here, but um, so I have different types of personalities to help me consider different approaches to different circumstances. Uh, we are doing a lot of work also with coaches of trying to do self-care understanding self-care and also understanding how to get out of their head into their heart and back up into their head. That's sort of a new one. Often people come in to the trainings or into the therapy with sort of a set script that they believe they need to have very inauthentic sometimes, not on purpose, but just out of lack of confidence or whatever it is. So. Yeah, what you said earlier about, um, and I, I, I say this, I, it took me by surprise when I heard this the first time, is that if, if, if you're in that not safe place, that this doesn't work. Yep. yep. And it just, I, no wonder, no wonder it didn't feel like 
uh, I could remember so much of my life. <laughs> said, that's so good because even, um, well, two pieces with that. If you're in the dorsal shutdown, closed off, I don't want anything. The world is a very scary place from Deb Dana's words. And I am totally alone place, or I got to get the hell out of here. I'm really scared. Something's going to hurt me. I'm in danger place. You can't really process. The right. only, and, and sometimes people get maladaptively focused on fear in their life. And it's very difficult to see the world from some other place, which, which is so important to address that. Slow and steady. Right. And I, I re remember when I first started studying with Linda, when I first started working with the horses, of course, it was a self-development journey for me mm -hmm. initially. And um, then I had all these really great experiences and, of course, just evolved and came to wherever I am right now. And then I thought at one point, okay, I really need to write this down. I need to, uh, I don't know whether I need to write a book or just do a memoir or see what I could do to to record this experience and i couldn't remember right exact things that had happened yeah that freaked me out <laughs> right and and that's you know your body your body experiences so much that if you i mean in some ways it freaks you out and then also thank your body for that like wow you were you know taking me through that without my knowledge. What I also wanted to say is often we really assume, A, that everyone should do equine work, not true. And B, we minimize the fear factor with certain with certain people. So when Around we- horses? Yes, all the time. And I, you know, mostly people that come obviously to an equine program or coaching, they either believe there's something really there for them or they've been referred and we assume that they're very comfortable but frequently they're not. And so a two or three sessions can be just outside of that arena, asking them to really get in touch with their body and helping them be okay with stating, wow, that's a big horse, I'm scared. Or- Yeah, yeah. And we yeah I've been, there's been groups, that, and this is something that I, I have found in working with, uh, since it's become a, a thing with leadership to teach teams, and they have to come along because the boss says, we're gonna go do this offsite session with the horses. And everybody just, just says, oh yeah, I'm fine with horses, I'm fine with horses. And then you actually get out there with them, assuming that they're okay and they're not. And you really have to be very careful because yep. if that one person is not, is not in that safe place, then everything else you know, with, the, with horses, it just goes like a domino. Yep, yep. And then, you know, one of my favorite stories was in one of our trainings, the individual stood outside, watched the horses. Then we went in to get the experience close and there was a group there. And I got into the arena and I could really see that this person's attitude was really shifted. And so I went over and I said, what's going on for you? And they said, I'm just really mad at you guys. And I was like, oh, okay. And I mean, this is the thing where I believe in this type of work that the human and the horse show up as a team. I don't believe that you just Absolutely. sit there and take the information from the horse. Absolutely. So anyway, she ended up saying, looking at me and saying, I'm really angry. That horse over there is clearly abused and underfed. 
And I kind of looked and this was, I was visiting the barn and I didn't know a whole lot about this horse, except I knew it was 43 years old. So I stopped and I let her tell me how awful everybody was. And then I said, is it gonna change the narrative if I tell you the horse is 43? And she just went, oh my God. And it was such a cool moment because, you know, I, I could understand the horse was just grazing. The horse was not in any stress. It wasn't, right. you know, and I looked from her eyes, that horse looked like a terribly abused old horse. Um, that has sort of become in the back of my mind, I believe very clearly in choosing very carefully what horses we use for who uh, and being really conscious. And then sometimes if we choose a horse that maybe wasn't the right choice, being able to try to understand with that person why they, was, why they weren't. In that case, no harm, no foul with this horse and this human. There wasn't anything so horrible, but I really, that one made me really think about the perspective of learning to look through the client eyes as to what they're seeing, what might possibly they see, and then trying to help articulate that. Exactly, being in that, that open space. Well, so this makes me wanna know, because um, in the beginning we talked about what is horse wisdom for you and you said it's everywhere. So what is the horse wisdom that is coming out in say that situation? How, what was the, what had you learned from horses? Of the, actually, I have two questions. Sometimes when I have two questions, it's like a traffic jam in my mind. So the first one is what was the horse wisdom that came up for you in dealing with that? In that particular one, it just really, for me, not for the person, maybe for the person, but I know mine was, was like the importance of making assumptions and also the importance of slowing down and checking it out, which like we all know that, but it would have been really easy to get really defensive with this person and say, well, what are you talking about, you know? But so the horse wisdom to me was just the art of observation and the art of slowing down. Exactly, not, they're economists of motion. So they're not gonna freak out and there's no drama. Yeah. Well, for the most part. No, I like that. I really like that. The, 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 the lack, I really like that. That's absolutely, when you're devoid of drama, for the most part, as we said, that allows you to get into that ventral vagal connected compassion state. I also, now that I'm thinking about it, I saw this woman's compassion. How cool that yeah. she had compassion and how wonderful that she used a voice. And yeah, so this kind of opened up. It wasn't the dorsal one you called it, this yep. shut down. Yep, dorsal's the slow, the low, the the oldest in the evolutionary hierarchy of responses. This okay. is the higher ventral vagal. She was compassionate and connected, but she also had a little fight or flight, a little right. sympathetic. She challenged me. Um, right. That's the other wisdom of the horses of learning the subtle art of the of the questioning. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when you're on a horse, if you go. You know, the horse is like, exactly. neither you or the horse, or even if you're in the arenas, that, that startled thing, you don't, it can, you can very easily lose the connection moment. Exactly. So for, for humans, okay, so now let me go back to that other question. <laughs> so when you said the horse wisdom was for you, I think it's really important to say that again, because people who are practicing 
because a lot of people, a lot of our viewers are practicing working with horses and either coaching or therapy or want to. The horse wisdom is, if not solely for, but as much for us as practitioners as it is right. for the person with whom we're working. Lisa, that's really good because in grad school, I was always taught, you know, I, I graduated in 90, Three, I started doing equine work in 89. And I was always taught in the, the very analytical PhD program, which was, you know, the only way it was a fit was that I was so oppositional and disagreed with most of what I was learning. But I was always taught that your clients should never do for you. You shouldn't get anything from them. And I was always like, what? And so even in this, in the work I do now, I'm like all about the two-way street is well, looking at the difference between the old school i will say it is trying to be neutral uh way of approaching therapy and healing uh, as opposed to being in partnership with someone around it they're too yeah different. yeah and early on um some of the analytical thinkers who you know are totally chauvinistic people that I don't necessarily espouse to everything, they were very, very much there for their clients in a two-way perspective. It's just it, throughout history, we've sort of changed that narrative. But I, I know, I mean, when people often ask me, well, the first question when people say, well, what about horses? You know, why do you use them? I always say, well, I really like horses. <laughs> and then I'll get into the other stuff. But I right. mean, they make my heart sing. They make me be able to do very difficult work. And it is very important that I am okay with what I do. It's really important. And I don't have any apologies. So they're still doing the co-regulating. Yep, always. Yep. Yeah. Enabling you. So part of, their, part of the horse wisdom that one can uh, take away from, as I say, out of the round pen or beyond the barn is that ability to self, what we've learned about self-regulation yes. is receiving that from horses. And you have to learn the other way too. You certainly have to learn to be able to. I mean, my writing over the years, I don't show anymore, blah, blah, blah. But my writing has gotten so much better in that I've learned how to co-regulate back. I think I used to hang on for dear life when yeah. Yeah. there was dysregulation. And now I'm like, oh, wait, I have to help here. And it's just exactly. it's the difference of being a passenger or a partner. Right. So so it's it's the reciprocity. Yes. And also, and when there's the three of you, just yes. three, you, your client and the horse, then it, it has to go all the way around. Yep. Right? Yep, exactly. I, that's really, that's really true. I always forget how much you and I are aligned. We, we haven't talked in a few years. We are back in the same spot. So yeah, well, I when I thought about doing this, this series and this summit, I really wanted to focus on how not only on horse wisdom, what is horse wisdom, but also how do we take it? We don't have to be around horses. Remember what you just said? Yeah. You know, with some people, the fear is so much yeah. so that they're not going to be present. Yeah. So it's not going to serve them to put them into a situation that they're not going to be present for. But at the same time, if we know about what we learn from the horses, 
the horse wisdom, we can take that out into the world. And, you know, we also learn from horses the art of adaptability and flexibility. That's that, you know, Linda's word, go back to grazing. Well, that's so important. In my work with a lot of different individuals and even in my own marriage, I have learned so much. It kind of clicked embarrassingly about two years ago, like, oh, well, wait a second. You know, when there's a conflict, maybe my partner is in dorsal vagal or fight or flight. If I join him in that, we're not going to go anywhere. But if I can step out of there and stay here, I'm not always great at it. But at least I can say that's my intention to get there. And it's taken the judgment out and it's taken the personality piece out of it. Instead of you're doing this to me, it's like, oh, you're doing this, you're in this place, you, and what do I do on the other side? So I've always done that in my clinical work, but I didn't quite know how much to incorporate it into my day, daily living life. And I, I'm very lucky I have a very low conflict partner, but when he gets activated, not triggered, I know use the word triggered, we don't use the word triggered because it's very activating in itself for victims of mass shootings, for veterans, etc. I just I like to say that as much as I can. Oh, I see it. I was I was wondering about that. But what I was going to say is when my husband gets activated, he goes to dorsal instantly. Instantly, his face shut down, can't talk. And I used to be like, "Why are you doing this to me? What's going on?" You know. And now I'm more like, "Oh, I get it. You don't feel safe right now." Right. Wow. So beautiful lessons. I'm glad the horses were there for you. Me too. When, when you were very small. Yeah. Rebecca, thank you so much. It has been so much fun just connecting with you again. And, and as we always say, we have to do this more often, but yes. And again, <laughs> play <Thank> more. <laughs> yep. Can I give you a sneak peek? That's what I was going to ask you. What is the sneak peek? What are we waiting to hear? In the next couple weeks, keep checking polyvagalequineinstitute.com. Mm -hmm. The Porges Group have been nice enough to support our use of the word polyvagal. So polyvagalequineinstitute.com. I'm even hoping Lisa will allow me to maybe someday house this interview there. We're going to be getting um, webinars and interviews from people in the field that have been around for a lot of years. I mean, sorry, we have, and hopefully yes. having them there. And then we will be having a really exciting thing that happens in the next couple months, a couple of weeks, you'll know, but I'm not allowed to say what it is yet. Well, we're going to put this, I will be in contact with you and for viewers, just look below and you'll see exactly where you need to go and where you can go. And also for transitioning families, and I don't know, maybe equine connections. <laughs> yeah, I know. So that you can uh, engage in work. So many domain names and then CFT <laughs> connection focused therapy. Yes, so. all of those. But you'll know if you look below, you will see exactly how to get in touch with